Welcome to the Brandon New Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Lyon, and I'm dedicated to helping individuals elevate their personal brand, proactively shape their reputation, and attract the life and career they dream of. I interview leading creative professionals, communication experts, and social media gurus in a bid to uncover practical and cutting-edge personal branding strategies for you to apply. All sessions are recorded in front of a real audience asking real questions. If you want to learn more, please feel free to visit my website, carlylion.com, and discover other ways we can work together. For now, let's start the class. Well, welcome to the Brandy New Pod class. Now, if you know me or you've been following me for a little while, you know that I love to read. And I also happen to be one of those annoying people that if you tell me you're going through a challenging time or you're going through whatever it might be, I will give you a book recommendation to to help you out. So today I happen to be speaking to the author of the book that I consistently recommend to pretty much everyone I speak to. And there's part of me that is questioning whether or not this is actually happening. I have to pinch myself. Uh, But the book is The Alter Ego Effect. And the gentleman I'm speaking to today is Todd Herman. So before I welcome him, I would like to read out his bio. And I will say this as a personal branding coach, I'm reading out this bio, not only to give you a real snapshot of how incredible this gentleman is, But I'm also going to say this is an incredible example of a bio-ridden well. So here we go. So Todd Herman is a high-performance coach and mental game strategist for ambitious entrepreneurs, athletes, and leaders who want to achieve wildly outrageous goals. He's helped clients reach the Olympic podium, build multi-million dollar companies, and establish brands that have become internationally known. He's owned his sports science training company for over 20 years, and his signature performance system, the 90-day year, has been named the world's top leadership and skill development program twice. He dodges taxis in New York City, where he lives with his wife, Valerie, two girls, Molly and Sophie, and one little guy, Charlie. He's currently the world's worst ukulele player, but working on it. Welcome, Todd, and thank you so much. I'm excited for this pod class. Yes. Look at you as a branding expert coming up with your own name. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I'm glad you noticed that. I'm sure some people are wondering if I've misspelt it somehow. But yes, it is a pod class. I, I did that originally when I saw it. I'm like, oh, so uh, someone didn't put their thing through a spell check before they reached out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that would be a real problem if that was the case. But um Todd, I really am so happy to have you here. And I've got so many questions for you. I wasn't lying when I said that your book is consistently the one that I recommend most to clients. I think not only is it practical uh, in in the best sense of the word, it really is life-changing when you put the strategy into play. So I've got I've got lots to ask you, but I will obviously keep I'll keep mindful of the time. But yeah. I think the first question that I need to ask and the best place to start is if you could tell us about Richard and how he has inspired the work that you do today. Uh, So, well, (laughs) it's a funny question. Um, So to the listener, yes, I, I go by Todd. It's my middle name, but Richard is my first name. And when I kicked off my fledgling little 
mental game coaching and peak performance company back in 1997, long before there was a coaching industry. Mm. Um, I was, I was, let's say I was very good at the act of, you know, delivering coaching to clients. Mm. Um, not because I actually had great skills. And I think this is actually a great lesson for anyone listening. One of the, one of the things that someone who's starting out at something, you can overcome the lack of skill versus maybe competitor mm. is you just might actually care more mm. um, than someone else. And I was 21 when I had started and I didn't have the roster of knowledge or experience that I have right now, but I was working with 12, 13, 14, 15 to 18 year old kids on their mental game. Mm. And it was, I loved sport. I loved the act of, you know, coaching kids and it was that um, genuine interest in them wanting to realize their goals that they felt that they mm -hmm. had someone in their corner, right? Mm -hmm. And whatever I lacked in having great skill and knowledge of like the human experience and dynamics and behavioral economics and um, all these different principles that I would end up using, at least they had an adult who cared. Yeah. Um, even though I wasn't too far off in their age. Mm. So having said all that, I was good at, I was, I had, I was very comfortable in my delivery and, and coaching and, you know, being there one-to-one -one with clients or even standing on a stage. And when I say standing on stage, I mean, standing in front of a hockey locker room or <laughs> yeah. football locker room of, of young kids with a crappy office depot flip chart, <laughs> which is what I had and carried around with yeah. me. Um, I was, I was comfortable with that. But what I wasn't comfortable with was my resolution at the end of every day of wanting to make phone calls so that I could talk to more people, mm. get more clients. And um, I had a real resistance around um, sales and, yeah. and marketing myself because it was my name on it. Mm -hmm. Even though it wasn't called Todd Herman's Performance Coaching Company, I, you know, I started, it was called The Peak Athlete. Mm. Um, so, I was, this goes back to the whole, you know, Richard thing. I yeah. was watching an episode. I'll tell you the Genesis story. And yeah. I was watching an episode of Oprah, as many people did back in the 90s. And early 2000s. <laughs> yeah. I was watching an episode of Oprah on a, at a time where I should have been probably working, but I <laughs> yeah. was avoiding things <laughs> on my couch. And it was this one episode where Oprah called it her favorite episode still to this day. And it was this lady, um, Johnny Jock who was unpacking her story of buying one of Oprah's, a pair of Oprah's shoes. Mm. And um, she was a size seven, Oprah's a size 10. And she was saying how she was going through a really hard time. And Oprah was doing this sale of some of her stuff. And yeah. the only thing that she could afford and, um, and purchase was a pair of Oprah's shoes. And she talked about how when she was going, she was going through this really hard time and she had these pair of Oprah's shoes sitting in the corner of her room. And anytime she was, you know, doubting herself or feeling bad, she would go and stand in Oprah's shoes. Wow. And um, like, it still always catches me because I can, I can remember me being that 21 year old kid who was struggling with all, all that self-doubt and that resistance and worry about rejection. Um, and I thought to myself, well, Hey, you used an alter ego when you were playing football. And I was, I was a good athlete. Yeah. I wasn't, legendary, but I got myself some scholarships. And so that was great. 
And I thought, why don't I, why don't I do that? Why don't I build out an alter ego to do these sales calls and try to market this business? Mm. And so, you know, Richard's significance, because I named him Super Richard, which is my yeah. first name, Richard, Level. because Richard sounded more adulty than Todd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, but it's the description that I think resonates with most people, like speak around the world on this. Super Richard came in to be the advocate for Todd's stuff. Mm. Todd, the me that was showing up, had a hard time, you know, expressing my value to the world. Mm. But Super Richard came in and said, I got this, Todd. I will shoulder this for you. I will be your advocate for you. And now I'm explaining to everyone what's going on between the six inches of my ears. And it's something that typically isn't expressed in interviews where mm. someone is honest and vulnerable enough to, to say that. And I'm not saying that to posture for people, but I'm saying that because the reality as someone who has worked with some of the most elite athletes on the planet mm. or has worked with some of the top CEOs or entertainers and public figures, I can tell you that the stuff that's actually going on between people's six inches of their ears or what they're actually doing to help move themselves through some very hard times is very different than what is ever said in an interview or mm. in a book. Yeah. And so I say that like, you know, um, there, there is this great power in disassociation. And so Super Richard did come in. I was able to play this role of someone who cared about Todd enough to get his stuff out there. Um, because I was, you know, there's lots of reasons why we can all stop ourselves from taking the actions that we want to take. It's pretty messy between the ears yeah. up there. And, okay. you know, we all have our, you know, foibles and our own traumas and our own, you know, trials that we've been through that, you know, might be holding us back, but it's hard for us to pinpoint why it is. Yeah. I think sometimes answering that question is one of the biggest pitfalls that the self-help person in the world has thrust onto people is you figuring out why that is because <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that network and web between our ears is, is pretty difficult to unravel. So <laughs> whatever, that was super Richard. He came in to be the advocate for Todd's stuff and he got my business off the ground um, and out to, you know, people beyond the whole warm interest list that was within my network. First of all, I have to ask the question, when your wife's angry at you, does she call you Richard or Todd? She does not call me Richard. It's, <laughs> okay, it's, okay. It's, it's it's definitely Todd, or okay. maybe some other choice words that would be there instead. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Now, in the book, you talk about how you turned Richard on, how you switched him yeah. on, how you got into that character, and can you explain to the audience how you actually transitioned from Todd and then into those moments you became Super Richard? Because I I just found that really, really yeah. helpful. Well, and I mean, as someone who's like in the branding world, you, it's no wonder that this book would resonate so well because it talks about identity. And that's what you're trying to help people with is building a unique identity for someone yeah. um, or a business. And, and part of that identity construction in brand is that you use artifacts, right? There's the logo, like there's, there's some elements that you use to make the unis distinct. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, the reason I went out and I bought a pair of non-prescription glasses. So fake glasses to someone else. This is now the 
late 90s. Yeah. When people were getting LASIK eye surgery, wearing glasses wasn't the cool thing to go and do. People were trying to get their glasses off of their face and <laughs> yeah. you know have um, better vision. But um, my best friend when I was growing up in my small little farm town of Schuler, Alberta, shout out to Schuler, which is um, statistically the smallest community in the province of Alberta, Canada, where I'm originally wow. from. So I grew up on a farm and ranch, population 82. Wow. Um, my, my school that I went to until the age of grade nine was um, max enrollment of 65 kids. Nice. Half of them were my cousins. So there wasn't a lot of dating. <laughs> thankfully, that was going yes. on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but my best friend, Mark, was, um, I can credit Mark a lot with what is now my love of science, because when you're in a small class like that, you're, you're forced to be friends with people who probably wouldn't be more like you. Like if you're in a bigger class, I would have been, it would have been more likely that I'd be friends with other, you know, jock type kids, like other yeah. athletes. That was my interest, but Mark, not so much. Um, he was loved science and loved, um, you know, um, learning more about uh, the universe, and and so he got me into that world. And Mark had a pair. Mark had glasses, and I so then that. in my in my sister's grade, who's a year yeah. behind me, the smartest kid in that class, James Hegel, um, who's yeah. a uh, Catholic priest now, um, <laughs> like a wonderful human. Um, he was he had glasses too. So like some of these early things mm. that they shape some of your perception of the world. And so I thought people who wore glasses were smart. And they were then that means perceived as smart going back to Richard. So what I went out and did was I'm like, well, I'm 21, 22 at the time. I look like yeah. I'm 12 years old. Like, how can I make myself look smarter or more believable or whatever credible? Mm. Well, a pair of glasses. So that was like, and I didn't really think that stuff through logically like that. But now when I would reflect on it, that's what I was kind of doing was I was trying to find an artifact to a, make me look a certain way. And B, I was trying to find a uniform that would help trigger Super Richard because I did the exact same thing when I was playing sport and, and creating Geronimo was there was a certain set of activities and rituals that I was doing in order to embody this um, uh, alter ego that I would use when I played sport. So I went out to Lens Crafters, which was in the largest mall in the world at the time, West Edmonton Mall. And I yeah. went in and I actually had to convince the lady to sell me a pair of non-prescription glasses because she was like, but you don't need glasses. And I'm like, I, need, <laughs> yeah. I just want to, she's like, but why? And I'm like, can I just freaking have a pair of glasses? <laughs> yeah. So Please I bought these glasses and I would, I would stand and I would pretend to, which is getting into the role of super Richard, which was someone who was confident, decisive, and articulate three things that I was lacking when I would be a salesperson or trying to, market my business and I would practice putting on these glasses. And after a while, just that action of the arms going past my temples and onto my ear, it was like an on off switch. Like I could feel myself transform into this, you know, different presence who, you know, didn't care about rejection and was actually there to take care of Todd in some ways. Um, and so that's what I used was a pair of glasses. So you, you watch this Oprah, you're 21, you watch this Oprah episode, which by the way, gave me goosebumps when you, when you explained the lady stepping into Oprah's shoes, you, you realize that there's power in this idea of creating an alter ego. You then call him super Richard and you 
then think about putting on the glasses, which turns Super Richard on. So at that point, you were kind of piecing together this process and this methodology. Yeah. And then how quickly, how dramatically did that change your business and everything you were doing going forward at that Um, stage? What it eventually got me to was um, it started to build momentum for me. Mm. Um, The original people who were, again, I'm an accidental entrepreneur and I, and I say that proudly because I think there's a lot of narrative out there that, you know, so yes, I've built and scaled and sold three different training and coaching companies. And so, you know, people think about the deliberateness of entrepreneurs and the reality is there's way more accidental entrepreneurs mm-hmm. than there are people who deliberately went out with some phenomenal vision. Okay. Um, and that stuff just pisses me off because, as someone who's worked with so many high level and elite people, the great thing I like about high level elite people is they're on, they're a lot of times way more honest than people who actually aren't at that level, which isn't the narrative that's typically true. But I was accidental. I was coaching some kids at a, um, on a high school football team and I was using, you know, my maybe emotional intelligence to share with them some of the things that I did to be successful, which was a lot of stuff between the ears because I'm not physically gifted. I wasn't like a big person and that's why I was dominant or something like that. Um, and then parents started asking me if I could mentor their sons and daughters. And um, this one lady, when she asked me for the first time and I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to. And then she's like, okay. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, what? And she's like, how much do you want to charge Todd? And I was like, oh, um, about $75 for a pack of three sessions. And I spit that out and I almost vomited in my mouth. Cause I'm like, oh my God, that's like, no one's going to pay me 75 bucks for three sessions. And she's like, great. And that was my price until the year 2000. So three years, two and a half years, basically. Wow. Um, but it super Richard started to build momentum because it got me outside of the bounds of just people who knew me because I started reaching out to people who had no context of who Todd Herman was and didn't have a relationship with me. And, you know, so they trusted me and things like that. Um, And then it got me to this point where I was like, well, Hey, I don't even know if this is a real business. Like, is this a thing? Um, Cause there was no such thing as mental game coaching in the amateur world. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do as many speeches as I can around my province of Alberta. You know, it's so, Calgary is a city that many people would know in Alberta. Yeah. I'm going to do as many as I can in the next 90 days. And so I did. I did a, um, I did 68 speeches in 90 days throughout my province. And at that point in time, after I was done doing those speeches, there was a waiting list of people to work with me. And I basically didn't have to market my business anymore because there was so much word of mouth going on around me. Um, that is so cool. That was the That was the momentum that me taking some actions started to create for me and created some wins. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, it got me into working with again, higher and higher and higher caliber people as the years went by. And so when you were do, I mean, to go from really zero to hero from a speaking perspective to do 68 talks in 90 days, did you say 90 days? Um, wow. Was that super Richard going on stage? 100% 100% it was. 100%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I started to learn that I really liked the way that I showed up as mm-hmm. Super Richard. Like I really liked that feeling of confidence. Um, I really liked um, the, and again, I was channeling, I talk about in, in the book, well, what's the source code of this alter ego? Like what's the source of inspiration? Where is it coming mm-hmm. from? From what 
person or thing or animal or whatever. And, um, and even just for the mind, it's very useful because 70% of our brain is dedicated to the visual cortex. And so when people talk about building a new self or having a new identity or being your best self, it's like most people have a very hard time visualizing what that thing even looks like. And so yeah. if we don't have a form to move towards, then it's hard for us to go and create that. And so mm -hmm. that's why the alter ego method that I talk about then in the book and what I became you know, famous for, I guess, is that it gave people a vision of what they're trying to move towards. And so my what I was trying to move towards as my source code was Benjamin Franklin, uh, Superman, and Joseph Campbell. Um, we're all three heroes of mine for different reasons. Joseph yeah. Campbell, because he was just so articulate. And when I watched him in the PBS special in 1987, um, being interviewed by Bill Moyers on the hero's journey and, you know, how that influenced George Lucas and completely rewriting the script for Star Wars. Um, it was just the way that he said things. I was, I mean, I was 12 years old when I saw it. I was like, Oh, I, I'd love to be able to <laughs> talk Ooh. about such grand concepts like that guy. And then, um, decisiveness, that was Superman because he was a man of action. That was, you know, his tagline. And I was not a man of action because I would, you know, um, go to bed saying that tomorrow was going to be a day that I was going to make these calls or do what I needed to do to grow my business, but I wasn't doing it. So I was a man of inaction. I wanted to become a man of action. And then being confident. Well, you know, it's really hard to argue with Benjamin Franklin because the man had seven incredible careers basically in one lifetime, uh, you know, as a writer and a statesman and philosopher and writer, like all these different, different things. And so just his confidence to be able to morph and, you know, change like that was what I would love to have a piece of that <laughs> kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And so, yes, Super Richard went on stage as well. Why? Because his job was to you know, get people to be interested in this concept of, you know, what I call the triune athlete, the mentally, emotionally, and physically tough athlete, that when you align all three of them together, you're able to allow that young kid, all of their capabilities to come out onto their playing field. And who knows where that's going to take them? Because my kind of message was, I, I don't know if I can get someone to whatever their level is that they want to eventually aspire to. But what I do know is I can help them to become a better leader of themselves. And who knows where that mm. will take them in their life. So, so true. So, so tell me at what point you go from this tiny town, 82 people, which blows my yeah. mind. I mean, even someone from Australia who there's definitely towns that small hit down here. Yeah. And then now you're living in New York City, arguably one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. When did that happen? Because that's a big transition. So I, um, as my business grew and I started to work with, and my name started to grow, this is now early 2000s. I ended up um, moving uh, over to Copenhagen and building yep. up um, the um, performance program for the Danish Olympic team. And then wow. I lived in. After that, I lived in London, Madrid, Cape Town, South Africa, Jakarta, Indonesia. And then I sold, a, I sold a company, which, so I started the peak athlete. And then another one I started because, you know, uh, corporations and businesses started asking me, well, hey, can you help apply these things in business? So I started No Limits Coaching and Consulting, which then built out performance and leadership programs in the corporate world. I sold that to Chevron in 2007. Wow. And with that money, then I went and moved to New York City, which was the place I always wanted to get to ever since I was eight years old in the, on my farm where I, here I am. I'm an, very much an extroverted person that's quite 
gregarious. I, I love human beings, but my best friends were cows and horses. And so I was kind of trapped <laughs> on this. I was trapped on this yeah. farm when I really wanted to be somewhere else. And New York seemed like the place to be. And so that's when I moved there was 2007. Um, and I, I bought into a company out there and that's, that's when I moved out there. I mean, New York really is. I remember I did live in New York for a short period of time. And I remember the moment I decided I wanted to live in New York was I was in Soho and Mm -hmm. there was a guy walking around in underwear, body painted, and then a traditional Indian American head garb. And he was just walking through the streets and no one was even looking at him. And I thought, this is the city that you need to be in just to to find yourself or to be whoever you want to be. So that totally makes sense to me. It is one of the great cities to reinvent yourself inside of a hundred percent. Yeah. Because of, because of what you just said. Yeah. You can be yeah. anything. You can be literally can. anything. Yeah. So now I'm, so no one's really going to see this video, but you're here today. You've got your glasses on. Does that mean at this point, is that Super Richard or is it now you actually need to wear glasses? So Super Richard needs to be part of you all the time. Like, where are you at with Richard now? Just like all of us, our identities are always evolving. Yeah. Um, and so the glasses that I wear now are not, they're still not prescription. Um, they're more just a part of my dress code. Yeah. Um, almost. Your brand. And yeah. And so that's why, that's why they're on. But I don't wear them around my, my kids. Like, it's very, it's, it's. Well, with regard to alter egos or really the the category that sits a, it sits above them is identity. And that's yeah. what I kind of became known for and, um, is identity-based performance. And then mm. the method that I would use with people is the alter ego method. Yeah. And, um, and it's because I was found in the leadership, self-help, personal development, spiritual world, you know, these you know, the vernacular and the platitudes of, you know, just be yourself or create yourself. And so it would kind of, and people go, yeah, you know, I should, but there was no, there's no meat on the bone. Like, and again, I'm, I'm specifically would be getting hired to help someone perform better. And so Mm. I had better be delivering them meat on the bone, not just a bunch of platitudes, you know, where it makes someone feel good in the moment. Like, cotton candy does, but it doesn't satiate any sort of appetite for ambition that they have. Yeah. And, um, and, and so the, my, like, again, all of our identities, they evolve and I'm, I think I'm just, well, I know I'm world-class at not getting trapped by an identity. Yeah. Uh, And so I'm, I'm very deliberate in the way that I show up. So going back to, I don't wear my glasses around my kids Yeah. because that's not the person that I'm trying to be around them. I'm hanging yes. out my cape, so to speak, yep. at my door. And, yep. and that guy's job was done for the day, the, the CEO and the coach and all these different other roles that I play. And now I'm I'm very intentional. So on the other side of my door, uh, when I when I go back into our home is a hook with a bracelet um, that my daughter's made for me. And so it has MSC, Molly, Sophie, Charlie, mm. and then my wife's name on it. And then the words only love. And then I put that bracelet on and I just have a ritual that I go through. And I imagine, you know, my two other sources of inspiration for how I want to show up in my role as a dad to these little kids. And that's um, Mr. Rogers, who's very famous over here in North America, less known maybe otherwise, mm. but, you know, one of the greatest children's entertainers of all time. 
super kind and loving and patient person and my own, my own dad. And so that's when I snap that bracelet on. That's when I think about embodying their characteristics for how I want to be. Because the last thing my children need is a challenger personality type, which is the way that I have to show up for a lot of, even nowadays when I have clients, you know, and it's, you know, high level people. Yeah. They have to be challenged. Yeah. Because it's just the nature of their world that they, that they're in. But my yeah. kids don't need a challenge. And I mean, if you know anything about parenting, the last thing that you're going <laughs> to yes. win a battle with is your, is challenging kids a lot of times. So a hundred percent. I totally, yeah. I love that so much, Todd. That honestly, again, that's goosebumps a second time. Just that level of intentionality uh, and really recognizing how much power you have to shape, you know, your identity in those different settings. And I totally get it for me. You'll never see me at an event or working without my red lipstick on. That that's the yeah. thing for me. That switches. I was going to comment Bali. on that right, right when we got <laughs> yeah. on the, the podcast. I was going to say that red lipstick has to have some meaning here. A hundred percent. It is a hundred percent the thing that switches on the Carly that needs to be here for work and to be, yeah. you know, for clients. But then. You know, clients wouldn't recognize me when if you, they were to come over to my house, I'd have a, a floral, free-flowing, kind of yeah. hippie vibe on with no no makeup at all. So I really totally get that, the power of that. And you do talk about that in the book um, with yeah. in-clothed con- cognition, which I also talk about. Okay, so we obviously want to dive in, and I've got lots of questions specifically related to the methodology. But before yeah. I do that... You know, for someone in the beginning of my career, I grew up in the personal professional development uh, arena and I was representing quite a few of the speakers. And for anyone who's anyone in that industry, they would know the name Jim Rowan. I mean, he is legendary Uh, and he was your mentor, which I mean, what an amazing gift that that would be to your life. And he said to you, which I loved this so much. If you're not willing to risk the unusual, you'll have yeah. to settle for the ordinary. What does, I mean, firstly, what did it mean to you then when he said it? You were obviously younger then. And now yeah. what does that mean to you now? Is it the same meaning for you? Well, at the time that he had said it, it was at that same time of like me not getting myself out there as much mm. as you know it's the power of someone seeing more in you than you might see in yourself or or at least holding up a mirror and i actually don't know if that statement's really all that true i think most of us do see more in ourselves um we some people just don't admit it to themselves because it might yeah. be, it might be scary for them or something like that um that the fear of the unknown that what what if this thing actually came true um mm-hmm. of, of what i'm hoping for which is something that i've, I've seen happen pretty consistently in my career. But at the time he was just challenging me on the fact that he knew that I wasn't someone who wanted to be ordinary or have an yeah. ordinary life, whatever that meant at a time, at the time. And I was just saying, you know, you, you need to get yourself out there because when you get yourself out there, you're going to find that it's not as scary as you think it is. And you're going to love the the kind of feedback loop that it's going to could mm-hmm. give you. I wouldn't have been using those words, but it was just the challenge of saying like it, it's a lot better out there than what you think. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a life that's waiting for you that's that's better than what you're currently experiencing, especially the life that's happening, you know, emotionally and mentally between you know the six inches of your ears kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um now when I look at that, 
Um, you know, if you're not willing to risk the unusual, you'll have to settle for the ordinary. Um, I would say that the meaning that it gives me now is actually a little bit different in that there's a lot of people who are still very challenged by the concept of, you know, one of the things that I'm known for, which is the alter ego stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's been a lot of times over my career where I kind of feel like I'm Galileo in many ways where I'm, <laughs> you know, persecuted and thrown in jail mm-hmm. for stating something that's just an, it's just a fact and it's a truth, you know, um, like, like he did. And, uh, you know, it happened just a couple of weeks ago. And so I, it reminds me now of the fact that, um, my work isn't done. I still need to be doing more to, whether it's make myself better at communicating something to people so that they can, yeah. un- they can get it and they can, because when, when, when you get it, you're like, it, it's one of the number one things that we get back as feedback or testimonials from people who've read the book or consumed my content on the interwebs or, you know, mm. taken uh code to myself, you know, around identity mm. um, and, and, and having this method now. So now it's sort of a, a Hey, like it's okay to be unusual. It's okay to be sought at or thought of as being different because it's the thing that invites in something that's beyond ordinary. It's more extraordinary. It's when I read those words, I mean, there was obviously, I I interpreted it for myself and my own life. But then when I was putting it in the context of, of your work, I was thinking that I was thinking it's so true to do something that, you know, might seem a little out there for some. Um, And you talk about the power of imagination and the fact that we're generally using imagination in a destructive way, that we're imagining all of the bad things that could happen to us, all of the things that could go wrong instead of using that imagination for good, which is ultimately what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And perhaps there is a somewhere along the line when you think of something like Jekyll and Hyde, maybe that's where people might think of an alter ego as being a negative thing. But really what we're talking about is bringing out the best of you, not the worst of you, hopefully. Well, you, you bring up, you know, what's, what's a very important point. And, um, you know, there's a, this is actually only a popular thing in the last few years, probably popularized by Elon Musk with regards to first principles thinking. Um, and so one of my favorite, you know, mentors that I haven't met before, but I'm influenced by is this gentleman, Charlie Munger, who's Warren Buffett's, you know, business partner. And Charlie Munger is one of the most erudite and clear thinkers on the planet. Warren Buffett calls him the fastest 32nd mind he's ever met. Um, and so he's very much a big believer in using mental models and first principles to help you, you know, work through your decisions, you know, Mm. a more quickly and then get to, get to a decision that's going to be far more helpful, you know, and, and useful than, you know, otherwise. And so I say that because first principles thinking around my world, like I'm very much a big believer that nature gives us a lot <laughs> to chew on. And if something doesn't exist in nature, then probably it's not true. And so going back to the Jekyll and Hyde thing um, and alter egos, can alter egos be bad? Of course they can, because nature tells us that yes. something can't only be good. Anyone who tells you a principle or concept can only be good is 
well, breaking the rules of literally all science. Yeah. Um, water is a good example. You know, like if, if you're thirsty, water is good. But yeah. when you're floating in a raft in the middle of the ocean, the last thing you want is another wave to land on top of you. You don't yeah. want more water, right? When yeah. there's a flood that's happened in Australia, you don't want more water. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fire can be good to warm us at night, but I don't want a raging forest fire or, you know, wildfire that has, yes. you know, ravaged the landscape to happen. So alter egos, of course, they can be bad. And that's yeah. the point of chapter three in the book. And what I created as a method, and you had alluded to it earlier, is, you know, there's a, there's a few principles that are at play that make this very powerful. One is the, uh, is the intentional part. Yeah. The second is, I'm doing this for how I want to show up in the world. Not because of the way that I want to impress you. Yes. The moment I start doing something, I talk about that in the model, in the framework, the moment you start being influenced by an outside in approach, I want to impress Carly. I want to impress my boss. I want to impress mom and dad. I want to do it so that I can fit in with this crowd. You will create what's called a trapped self. Why do I use that word? I don't use it because it's like a useful term. I use it because trapped is one of the most common terms that would be used in my one-on-one -on -one coaching conversations, which means in real and raw moments of real human beings trying to navigate towards something that was difficult for them or challenging and something's getting in the way. And they would say, oh, like, I just feel trapped or I'm stuck or something like they just, they just can't articulate what's going on that's there. Mm. And a good chunk of the time, it's because there is an outside motivation that's trapping them. Mm. And conversely though, and what does that create for? Well, in the world, in, in that model, it creates the ordinary world. Yeah. And it's ordinary because you know, not all of you is getting out there. Mm. And then there's the flip side of that. The extraordinary world. Well, it's not extraordinary because there's no valleys. <laughs> there's no, you know, bogs that you have to walk through. There's no challenges. No, it's the same world. It's just that you are motivated from an inside out perspective. You're doing it for yes. your reasons, because this is how I want to show up. I wanted to be confident. I wanted to be decisive and I wanted to be articulate. I didn't want to be indecisive. I didn't want to have the level of doubt and fear that I was living with when I was just trying to grow a small little mental game business. Mm. right? And so that's where Super Richard was born was because I wanted to bring certain traits, certain abilities out there so that I could maybe impact a few more kids. Yeah. And so it's that intentionality, the source of that, that's so important. So mm. yeah, can alter egos be bad? Of course they can. But last time I checked, so can someone's identities or can someone's, yeah. so can someone's quote, authentic self that mm. they're bringing out there. And I'm like, mm, that's not you being authentic. That's just you being an asshole to other people because you think it's really important to tell them that you don't like their dress today. This is the perfect segue because every, see, every single time I go out and speak about personal branding, and I'm sure you get this all the time. And in fact, I, I had to smile. One of your recent newsletters talks about this and you call it the authenticity trap. Yes. So when I go out and speak about personal branding, there will always be a person in the audience who will say, but I don't want to pretend to be something that I'm not. I want to 
show up authentically. And you talk about in that recent newsletter, you talk about the fact, and I talk about this as well, that who you are in different settings, in different contexts is probably yes. different, no less authentic, but different all the same. And recently I had on the podcast, podcast, uh-huh. uh, Dr. Rebecca Newton, uh, who wrote Authentic Gravitas. And she talks about how important it is to not remain authentic to the things that aren't working for you in your life. So like you just said, if you're showing up and you're being an asshole and you're just calling it authentic, that's not actually authentic. That's destructive. She says, Mm -hmm. be authentic to your intention and the impact you want to make, which I think is what you're talking about when you were creating Super Richard. It's you were remaining authentic to your intention and the impact that you ultimately wanted to make in the world as an individual. And that's the most authentic thing to do, right? So I would love your take on this. Is this something that you're constantly asked about in the work that you do? It is the number one objection, (laughs) right? (laughs) So I'll give you an example here. Um, So there was a study that was done by a lady at the University of Minnesota. Um, Mm. uh, Now, I was told by someone who is friends with her that, and and this goes back, you know, almost a decade or more ago, she saw me speak on the topic of alter egos at a sports conference Mm. and fascinated by the idea and was sharing that with um, the researcher at the University of Minnesota. So she went out to do, and I was talking about the importance of a uniform and and why one of the easiest things to improve your performance in whatever category of your life is to have a uniform, is to have mm-hmm. something that you put on because of this concept of enclosed cognition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so enclosed cognition is that we as human beings, we um, have story and narrative that we add to objects and to articles of clothing that uh, people might wear, right? Um, You know, if I were to put on, Halloween is around the corner here, if I was to put on a sexy nurse outfit, (laughs) um, contrary to the horror of my neighborhood, um, (laughs) I would probably act a different way than I would if I was (laughs) wearing my glasses and my normal work uniform, right? So people get that. Um, Yeah. A better example would be that um, if I was to put on a doctor's coat, mm-hmm. um, I would act a certain act a certain way. But the story, I'll, the example I'll give. So, University of Minnesota, she um, does a study with a group of six to eight year olds, and she brings them into um, this classroom, and they have this puzzle box set up with a bunch of padlocks all over it, and a set of keys to unlock the padlocks. Now, the thing is, none of the keys would work. Okay, mm-hmm. So they bring in each kid individually and they hand them the the keys and they say, okay, we want to see how fast you can unlock this, the padlocks on this puzzle box. So they go about doing it and they're trying to find the right key for these padlocks and, you know, they're getting frustrated and they're not figuring it out. And so they track the results and um, then they bring in a, a, a new group of kids, but this time they roll in a rack of costumes, Batman and Dora the Explorer costumes specifically. And they say to each kid, you know, hey, pick out your favorite costume and put it on. And then they hand them the set of keys and say, okay, get after it, unlock these padlocks. And so they do it and they track the results. Um, Now, the kids that were wearing the uniforms did the 
kept at it for a lot longer than the kids who were just in their regular clothes. But the surprising part of the study that they weren't expecting was the vocalized self-talk of the young kids. Mm -hmm. The kids who were there just in their regular clothes doing it would say things like, you know, oh, I'm not good at puzzles. This is too hard. I'm going to quit. The kids who were wearing the costumes would say things like, well, uh, Batman always finds a way, so I'm going to find a way. Um, Dora the Explorer um, always figures it out, so I'm going to figure it out. Um, and so what I what I say to people is, were those kids wearing the costumes being inauthentic? Mm. Were they being fake mm. because they were having an alter ego of Batman or Dora the Explorer? Mm. Or was it a useful tool to help them draw out of them more of what they are. The kids who were in their plain clothes felt like they were being judged. The mm. kids who were in the actual costumes were able to disassociate from their identity and live and act through the identity of their favorite hero. Mm. So that's only one example of why this alter ego method works so well. A, it simply uses an already existing methodology that our brains occupy operate through in yeah. cognition. That's why yeah. I talk about in my method, like I have a method, there's alter egos. And that concept has been out since Cicero named it in 44 BC, mm. which means the other I or trusted friend within, but I'm the one who found the method because of my work at elite levels. And my most elite clients would use identity characters, alter egos, secret identities as a method or a persona to go out there and help them perform. They didn't know why. Yeah. And I'm the one who just kept on unpacking it, unpacking it, you know, like just mining away. I found this mountain and I'm going to figure it out. And then, you know, voila, I, you know, go out and been doing it for the last 20 years. So my point about authenticity is you don't over, like you listening, you don't know all that you're capable of. That's mm -hmm. my challenging statement for you. And I don't care, Carly, if people like me for saying it because yeah. it's 100% true. Yeah. Here's how I know that. The version you are today is different than the version you were six months ago. Hopefully, yeah. especially because why would you be listening to a podcast with Carly if you weren't trying to improve yourself constantly? Yeah. So if we're constantly evolving and hopefully evolving forward, evolving better and evolving with improvement, then why are you shackling yourself to an idea and an argument about who you think you are? It's, if it's, your intention is to constantly pursue a vision of what you're trying to create in your world, then yeah. you're going to be using tools. You're going to be grabbing at certain things to help you, uh, help you get there. And so that's what I think is if, and I'm not throwing out the word authentic and authenticity. It's just that those two words specifically, along with a handful of others, have been used so frequently in the world of social media mm -hmm. that it's a trap. Mm -hmm. um, it's used as a way of like putting myself into a box and like, you know, trapping myself in some way, or mm -hmm. I can posture to someone else with poor behavior or poor language that I'm just being authentic. Mm. I'm just speaking my truth. Eh, I think mm -hmm. it's being very ineffective was, was what it is. A hundred percent. And it, it really is overrated. And, you know, I think intuitively you, we all have to know that 
it's a flawed way of thinking because of what you just said. I mean, if we were to look back five years, 10 years, 15 years in our own lives and our own journeys, we're totally different people. There might be certain elements of our essence that remains true. For sure. but, But, you know, there's so many things that have changed us along the way. And really what I see the alter ego effect as doing it's offering a very practical shortcut to get to, and it's harnessing the power of imagination. It's it's harnessing mm-hmm. the power of mental models. It's to get to where you want to go and to who you want to be and to try on different elements of yeah. who you actually are inside. Who And you call it the heroic self, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, at our core... Um, and frankly, actually, if I was to go back and rewrite parts of the book, um, I, I wouldn't call it even the heroic or I call it the, I call it the core self, like, mm-hmm. but really it's just the core, the core yeah. of our humanness is that we have a whole bunch of traits and attributes that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then what happens is we have an identity that's a lot of times created for us yep. know, unwittingly by you know, how we grow up and that forms the way that we show up in the world. But is that really all that I am, Todd? Mm -hmm. Of course it's not. There's Mm -hmm. more that's there. And so the alter ego crew allows me now to sort of mine and pipe into my core area of Mm -hmm. um, energy that's Mm -hmm. there and bring out of me what can feel like a heroic self because I'm acting through an identity that makes me feel more powerful Mm -hmm. um, and do the things I need to do with less friction, less self-doubt, less whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And because again, it's, if we argue that everything in the universe is energy, then maybe at the core of all of us is energy. Another word for that in the human form is traits, abilities. Yeah. Yeah. and so the alter ego method that I give people or the method itself for you to create the identity is just simply a very effective and simple. And you had talked about the, you know, power of using the imagination and what it brings really at the end of the day, what it does is it gives us this thing that is so important to get into flow state out of the, I've, I've coached people one-on-one now, Carly, for I'm coming up on 20,000 hours of one-on-one Wow. Work. Wow. It's, and, and that's just one-on-one. That's not counting group and presentations and speaking and, you know, everything else. And what I know is that an attitude of playfulness is the golden key that unlocks the zone and flow state. Mm. How I know that to be true is that children are great teachers of that. From the age of six months to the years, uh, seven, seven years of age is when kids are in what's called the theta brainwave state. So the theta brain, if you think if you've heard about beta and alpha and theta and beta is like your waking mind and it's like the judgment mind and you're focusing, um, the alpha state is where you kind of fall into like really deep focus. Mm. And then theta is where it feels like flow and the, the zone. Um, mm-hmm. it's almost, uh, uh, daydreaming can also fall into the theta brainwave state, but kids are in theta. Why? Because if their frontal lobe, which actually doesn't start to develop and around like more, doesn't start to activate until about the years of seven, eight, nine, depending on male or female. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't want them to have the judgmental 
reasoning mind because if they did, they wouldn't be able to learn all of the skills they need to learn. So they're just sponges. The theta state is just a sponge state. And that is when they're their most creative. That's when they're their most playful. That's when their imagination is alive. Also, what's interesting is there is no concept of identity at that age. There is no me and self. That actually doesn't get developed until about eight, nine. And so they're very malleable. They're, they have no problem shifting between playing nurse in one second and playing Wonder Woman in the next. That's not weird. And yet, as we grow older, this frontal lobe kicks in and we start reasoning and judging. Oh, Todd, that's a mm, idea. Insert whatever the judgment might be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, I'm just sitting here going, mm, it's actually a very playful way of approaching mm-hmm. life and not taking our self, our ego, so seriously. Yeah. What it means is you're not telling, you're not taking the story that you're believing about yourself so mm. seriously so that you can repeat it every single day and trap yourself inside of an ordinary world that you don't actually want. Boom. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wow. It, it is just so true. I believe so, so I, I, I'm really even lost for the right word to use. I believe in this so much. I really, and it's, it, it's why I'll just keep saying, I just think your work is so powerful because it really can help us rise above and, and have a more playful approach to who we are and, yeah. and who we want to be. And I always remember I had, and I don't often do it, but I had a reading with a psychic and this psychic said to me, which goes back to your point of of how malleable we are as children and we're just sponges. And this psychic said to me, she said, Carly, and she was explaining two different behaviors that I have or she could see in me. Um, yeah. She said, they're not yours. That's your mom and dad's. You can give them back now. You don't need them. And, mm-hmm. you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, when we talk about authenticity Right from the very beginning, we're influenced. I mean, even in vitro, we're influenced by the people around us. And so what really is authentic? And I do believe when you talk about your core self, I use the word spirit. There is a spirit within all of us that doesn't, it's faceless. It's nameless. It doesn't have an identity. It's It's not not exactly. And so you get to choose this human version of yourself in the lifetime that you're in. So I just... Mm -hmm. Todd, I just love your work so much. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time out to to talk to me and to share to share your knowledge with my community. I I'm recommending the book. You also all have to go to Todd's website, and that yeah. is toddherman.me. Um, because you also offer the Ultra Ego Effect Masterclass. So for anyone who doesn't necessarily want to read mm-hmm. about it, they can go on and, and interact that way. I'll also say, yeah. Todd, I mean, your your bio was great. Your website's really good. So when we get off this call, I'm going to be finding out who built it because it's really, really good. <laughs> so well, for nothing else, um, go and do it. There's another woman who you should probably, and, and uh, she's an Australian as well. Yeah. Um, Kim Fuller. I don't know if you've ever come across Kim. No. So she's brilliant at... Um, brand work. She won many awards in the like, you know, kind of big advertising worlds. And then she kind of started to play in the sandbox of, um, uh, you know, I'd say medium-sized businesses and she, yeah. kind of, you know, I got, I got lucky with, with Kim, but she's, she's, she's brilliant, um, at, 
at this game as well. So thank you. So I'm so looking her up straight after this call. Is there anywhere else that you would recommend for anyone who's wanting to know more about your work and what you do and how to reach you? Where would they go? Well, yeah, Todd Herendami is the best place where I can kind of like direct people off to different things. And, you know, going back to actually just the one thing that I don't know if you had would would have picked up on it but um on the in the header area of the website um i specifically say um i coach i build i write i speak Mm. and there's a the the reasoning behind that and i think it'll help some of the people that are in your world it would be the most common vernacular is to say like you know i'm a coach um i build i'm an entrepreneur i'm a you know author and uh and those are nouns and Mm. really we are we're more verbs than we are nouns Mm. and so i coach it's it's the verb that i do i build things and i write about things and i speak about things but it's also the process of mine it's I coach first so that I can work with people on the field of play to see what's really going on so that I don't accept a bunch of practitioners of whatever the craft is. And then I take those learnings and I build products and I build services for people um, or I build software. I have a software company called UpCoach, which is you know, kind of my one of my magnum opuses back to the industry that I love so much. Um, one of the hard parts of boat coaching people is the back-end delivery part. So I'm trying to build out the best back-end delivery that you can have that models um, what we all want to do, which is transform people's lives. Mm-hmm. And so I build products and I then I might write a book about it. So I wrote the alter ego effect from all of that. But I just say that to people because instead of worrying about whether or not you're an entrepreneur, I, there's this gentleman that I had a a conversation with who was just exiting a business. And a lot of times when you exit a business, you go through a crisis of identity because your your whole self-worth tied up in being known for the founder of this company or something. And I said, you're not an entrepreneur. And he's like, wait, what? Yeah, I am. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're entrepreneurial. Mm. That's really important that you sit with that because if you're entrepreneurial, you can take that anywhere in the world. You could take that to NASA and take your entrepreneurial qualities to NASA. But if you're an entrepreneur, that means you're a noun that has another noun, which means a business. And right now you call yourself an entrepreneur, but you don't have a business. Mm. You are, is you're entrepreneurial. And so um, I just say that people like find the verbs in your life and live through those verbs because it will unshackle you from a lot of the traps that can hold people back. Um, And so this is coming from someone who loves to use identity, but I like to use identity. I don't want identity. So true. So true. I love it. Thank you for having me. I love your verbs. I love your work. Uh, your podcast is also amazing for anyone who does any form of coaching, even if it's, you know, secondary to what you actually do in your day job. The Up Coach podcast is also really, really amazing and generous and practical, 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 which I think is just the important and, point. Yeah. Thank you. So thank you for that. I also want to say, because I am I keep on forgetting this, but I have a, I have a new podcast that I'm coming out with oh. um, called called ground punch and you'll remember this from the book there's the chapter called the ground punch and so ground punch is me um 
diving into the dark night of the souls moment with high achieving people and finding out like what was actually going on in your head like what was happening in that moment when you were losing your business and so the entire episode is devoted towards just diving deep into these extraordinarily difficult moments that humans were experiencing and then what happened like what did you do what did you say to yourself what were you thinking um that got you to rise up out of that because the ground punches that moment in wonder woman where she classes her two wrists together and when she's being defeated by the enemy and says oh like you think that you've had all of me yet like here i go or the incredible hulk when he throws his fist into the ground after being bombarded by a whole bunch of you know the enemy and he sends out this shock wave of oh like watch out because here i come and Love so us. that podcast is going to be coming out in, you know, probably early December. Well, I'll probably be your biggest fan for that as well, Todd. So <laughs> <laughs> wait for the fan mail. But thank you. Thank you thank again. You, I really look forward to staying in touch. Please, everyone, read the book, The Alter Ego Effect. Follow Todd. It, you will be thanking me forever and a day after. And yeah, thank you again, Todd. You're a peach. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share what you learned and help others find the podcast by leaving a review. If you would like to attend the next virtual class in real time, be sure to sign up to the invite list via carlylion.com or the link in the show notes below. I look forward to having you at the next class.